0: Uh, to Luke chapter 2, will also be up here on the screen. Uh, as we've mentioned, we're in week three of our Advent sermon series, The Songs of Christmas. And in case you've missed any of the songs and the sermons in this series, uh, we have kind of walked through the Bible's very own Christmas songs, which are found in Luke 1 and Luke 2 the Song of Mary, the Song of Zechariah which we looked at the last two weeks. Today, the song of the angels, which you may have picked up from the theme of the last couple of songs we sang. And next week, we'll look uh, at the song of Simeon. And I want to start this morning by talking about God's salvation. God's salvation, or God's action to save us, uh, is contained in in what I want to think of as three Christ events. Three Christ events, incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. This is really important, I think, to understand that these events, incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, these Christ events are how God goes about salvation. We're not saved by our knowledge. We're not saved by our actions. We're saved by what God has done for us and for the world. We're saved by what God has done for us and for the world. Our salvation comes from these three events, incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection, or to say it another way, Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter. Uh, In these events, God does what was needed to bring salvation to the world. This is why these are our big days, right? Every Sunday is important, but these have a special feel to them. These, These times of year have a significance to them, Christmas, Good Friday, and, Easter. and so these Christmas songs show up in the Bible around this first Christ event, Christmas. And I think that they show up partly to help us understand just how significant this moment really is because incarnation or Christmas is where ultimately the, the story launches from, the story begins, which is why it's the beginning of our year, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Once Jesus, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us and entered the human story, it is inevitable that there will be crucifixion and resurrection that follow that, but but it still has to play out, and it takes his entire lifetime to play out. And so with today's song, I, I share that and I talk about that, because I think with today's song, the song of the angels, we arrive at the Christmas story. Everything we've looked at in this sermon series before today has been... people singing before the birth of Christ, before Jesus arrives. But today, we're going to pick up in the story with the actual birth of Jesus. And so I want to jump in, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is what Luke writes. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town. To register, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because Joseph belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. I want to stop here in the story really quickly. Luke wants us to know from the very beginning that Jesus is born into the world as it is. I don't know what you hear when you hear Luke telling us that... In those days, Caesar Augustus, Augustus issued a, a decree, but there is no word that is... Lo- every word that Luke writes is intentional, is purposeful, and has significance. And, and the reason for these words that we've just read is that Luke wants us to know. I think he wants us, even today and 2,000 years later, to know that Jesus is born into the world as it is. What do I mean by that? Jesus experienced what we experience What's the saying? Like there are only three things in life that are guaranteed, life and death and taxes. Jesus experienced the same thing, right? Jesus' parents experienced the same thing. Jesus was born into a world where Caesar Augustus was emperor, and this is the world as it is. The world was arranged in Jesus' day to serve Caesar in the interests of the Roman elite and the Roman world that he had established, and this is the reason for the census, Caesar didn't know it, but God was going to use these events that Caesar put in motion to orchestrate the ultimate arrival of Jesus in a specific town, the town of David, which is where Jesus was supposed to be because that's the city where kings are, you know, live. That's David's city, right? And so this is the world that Jesus was born into, the reason for the census. And so, so they can know how to properly tax all the citizens. They want, they want to know how many citizens there are. And so they send all the people to their places of origin, and this world that Jesus was born into is not all that unlike our world. Because of this taxation program that Caesar Augustus implemented, it meant that Mary and Joseph had to travel. They had to travel to their roots, Bethlehem. It was a hundred-mile journey. It would have been very difficult. Mary's pregnant, but they make the journey. And this is what happens next in verse 6. While they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And so while they're there, again, just want to pause quickly and talk about this. While they're there in Bethlehem, the city of a king, the city of David, the time comes for, Mary's, for Mary to deliver Jesus into the world a baby king is born in the city of a king. And because the town is packed with people who had all come to that town for the purpose of the census, there was no room in any of the local hotels. So his bed that night was out in the elements in a manger. But the word manger is too clean, really. Right? This is an f- animal feeding trough. And the details, again, are the, of this story are important. They all matter. While the birth happens. Most of the town in Bethlehem, most of the people are sleeping, but right outside the town on the edges in the fields, another event happens. Listen to what happens next in verse 8. And, and there were shepherds living out in the fields, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, doing their job. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, what angels always say, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you that you can know that these events have happened. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in an animal feeding trough, a manger. Just right outside the town, there are some shepherds doing what shepherds do. Shepherds are simple people. They lived a simple life. And at first, one angel appears, and they're terrified. And so the angel says, do not be afraid. Why does the angel say, do not be afraid? Because good news is what I bring to you, not bad news. And I want to look again at the words that the angel says, because again, in this particular story, every word is important, and every word is purposeful and intentional. Look again in Luke 10 and 11. Luke 2, 10 11, he says, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I want to highlight those words that are in caps and in yellow. I want to talk about those for a minute because these words mean something and they meant something to the shepherds. They heard these words with different ears than we originally hear these words. They would have meant something to the original hearers of this story. And here's why. Because years before Jesus' birth, when Caesar Augustus was born, remember Caesar, the guy at the beginning of the story who was the emperor at the time and had issued this decree to have a census of the entire Roman world? Years before when he was born, do you know what was announced across the entire Roman world? Augustus' birth was announced on the streets with a report of good news. And the arrival of a savior. Good news. You can hear them walking down the streets announcing, good news, good news. Roman soldiers probably charged with going out and spreading this message. Good news. Good news. We bring good news. A savior has been born. Caesar Augustus. But Augustus' birth wasn't really good news, was it? Not for everybody. Caesar Augustus' birth wasn't good news for the poor. It wasn't good news for the oppressed. It wasn't good news for the marginalized. It certainly wasn't good news for neighboring countries that he would ultimately conquer and dominate to establish this known Roman world that he was taking a census of. Augustus didn't care about those group of, groups of people. His Roman world was built on the backs of those people. And his government was structured to benefit him and a few Roman elite citizens. And so Luke says that this baby's Arrival is also good news. But unlike Caesar's birth, this child's arrival will actually be good news for all people, he says. For you and for me and for these shepherds. And this baby will also be a savior. Unlike Caesar, he will save people from death and sin. He is the promised Messiah, the Christ. Some of your translations might say the anointed one, the fulfiller of God's promises that had been promised long before his arrival actually happened. And he is the Lord. Jesus Jesus has authority is what the Lord means. He has authority and power over all things. This is why it's important that when you and I claim Jesus as Lord, what we are claiming is that he has power and authority over all things in our lives especially in overcoming sin and evil. This angel's words are no accident, church. God wants the world to be very clear about this baby's greatness. Greatness that far exceeds Caesar Augustus's greatness. And so imagine, as you put yourself in the shoes of these shepherds, what they're thinking. If this baby's great, as they're hearing this angel proclaim... We'll probably find this baby in a palace somewhere, right? No, the angel says, this baby will not be surrounded in all the splendor you might imagine for such a great king. You'll find this baby wrapped in a simple blanket and lying in an animal feeding trough. What? Surely not. And again, all of this is so intentional and, and there's a point to all of it. And the point of these signs, a baby and how the baby is is born and where the baby is laying, a feeding trough wrapped in cloth, all of that, all of that is important to the story. And the point of these signs, some people think, and I think there, there, is, a, there is a truth to this, the point, people think the point of these signs is to help the shepherds identify Jesus, right? They're going from stable to stable. Some people think it might have been more like a shepherd's cave. They're going from cave to cave, and they're trying to find a baby laying in an animal feeding trough, and there probably weren't a lot of those in, in and around Bethlehem that night, so may, maybe it was to help these shepherds identify, but I don't really think so because of the fact that there weren't a lot of babies, I imagine, laying in the same exact spot in the same way in Bethlehem. It would have been probably pretty clear in my mind as I think about this story that there was only one woman who was delivering a baby in a barn on that night. So it might be that these details, these signs, are given, are given to the shepherds so they can identify Jesus, but I think it's a different reason. I think these signs are given to the shepherds so that they can see that they identify with Jesus. You hear the difference? There's a difference between identifying and finding this baby lying in a manger and identifying with him. Jesus is like them. Think about it. Shepherding is dirty and hard work, delivering lambs, constantly watching over your shoulder for threats to your flock. These shepherds sleep outside under the stars with their sheep. Luke said they were living out in the fields. They don't have a roof over their head, and neither does Jesus. They're poor. They're the bottom of the economic chain, and Jesus is poor and So just imagine with me for a moment, if you will, these shepherds showing up in this place where animals eat and sleep and poop. This is their world. They live with animals, and now here they are celebrating the arrival of a baby with animals. The circumstances of Jesus' birth allow them, I think, to see themselves as people that this God cares about. Jesus is like them, God with us, Matthew says, Emmanuel. If a king, if you continue to imagine this little thought experiment with me for a second, if a king was born into the world today, in our world, he would arrive not only first of all at a hospital, but after the hospital, he would, he would live and be found in a palace. Or for our American context, he would live in a, in a place of high affluence, the White House, right? And you would be here, living your normal life, unable to relate, unable to connect. Certainly you wouldn't have access to this king, and you, you wouldn't see yourself in him. The shepherds were in the same exact situation. They would never be allowed, they would never have been allowed into a king's palace to see a baby, but they were the first people to know about this news that weren't immediate family. They are the first visitors, you might say, to show up outside the delivery room looking through the window at this baby king. When we think about it this way, church, I actually think this, this scene is the ultimate picture of incarnation. God coming to us. Instead of remaining far off and inaccessible, right? You can't, you can't relate to this king. God says, and God, God doesn't say, come find me. I'll be somewhere that's hard to find and hard to access. Good luck. No, God shows up to shepherds. God with us. And the next thing that happens in this story is is quite remarkable. Then suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel that had made this announcement, praising God and saying, or singing, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord Has told us about. I don't know how you picture this scene, but I love this image. Because Luke tells us that a multitude of angels break out in song. A company, a great company of heavenly hosts. I imagine the sky completely lighting up. Some translations refer to it as an army of angels, an army from another world, you might imagine, an army representing another government, an army from heaven. But this army isn't a killing army. This army is a singing army. This, co- this army comes not to kill, but to carol. As Daryl Bach said, Jesus may be lying in an animal feeding trough, but heaven is present at his birth. And it isn't a long song. It was just one verse, one slide on the screen. Just one long sentence, really. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. A short song, and and the primary message of this song is a message of peace. When Jesus was born, again, the world, the Roman world, was talking about this idea known as the Pax Romana. I've talked about this a long time ago, so maybe many of us have forgotten about it, but the Pax Pax Romana simply means Roman peace or the peace of Rome. Pax Romana was this 200-year period in history from the reign of Caesar Augustus to Marcus Aurelius. And this peace existed, of course, through conquest and through the establishment of rules that everyone was agreed, forced to agree to. And, it, and if, if Roman peace, Pax Romana, was actually a thing, it was only a thing, of course, because you didn't get out of line, right? You experienced peace as long as you didn't ever get out of line, and as long as you did what Caesar told you to do. It's peace as long as there was no war. But what we know is that while human rulers can offer peace, it isn't permanent, and it's only peace from certain things. And eventually, Caesar wouldn't be able to maintain things. His Roman Roman world that he had built up begins to crumble, and the peace of Rome goes away because Rome's grip on the world went away. And it is into this world that Jesus arrives, bringing peace not from war, but peace from death, peace from sin, peace from grief, peace from envy, peace from hatred, peace from having to be right, peace from having to be better than everyone else, peace from competing with other human beings, peace from whatever it is that angers you, frustrates you, troubles you, or feels heaviest on your heart peace, a peace that happens inside of us as Jesus comes into our lives, which is different from outward peace that comes, that is always determined by our circumstances. Jesus is the prince of peace who offers true peace, you might say. And we need this peace because at the end of the day, church, we aren't all that unlike Caesar Augustus, trying to manufacture peace for ourselves. This is how we do it, trying to manufacture peace for ourselves. Think about your life. I'll have peace if I just work hard enough. I'll have peace if I just do enough. I'll have peace if I eliminate the problem. I'll have peace if I hate them. I'll have peace if I just hold on to my anger. I'll have peace if I come out on top. I'll have peace if I just get even. Then, then I'll have peace. If they would just say they're sorry, then... I might have peace. If I just get all my work done, then I'll have peace. If I can just get to the end of the semester or the end of the week or the end of the day, then then I'll have peace. If my spouse would just, then I would have peace. If my kids would just, then I would have peace. If I can just accomplish that goal, if the bills would just be paid, then I would have peace. Do you hear all of those examples, all of that is determined by your circumstances. All of it is temporary. If you get to the end of the day, think, if you think getting to the end of the day is going to be the thing that gives, gives you peace, you can finally relax and put your feet up, guess what? Tomorrow you've got to go back and do the whole thing over again. Right? It's temporary. But the peace that Jesus brings into the world is not determined by your circumstances. The peace that Jesus brings into the world is accessible regardless of our circumstances. And this point is so important. Some of you who are really good members, right? You're you're thinking, Doug already talked about this when we did this fruit of the spirit sermon series. And you're right. It's so important. We need to hear it again because most of us forgot that I talked about this when we talked about the fruit of the spirit of peace. Our peace is not determined by our circumstances. Salvation doesn't happen in your life because everything is calm. Salvation and peace do not come to your life happen because everything is calm. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen because you don't have anything bad happening to you. Right? That's what we all a lot of times think, if I just if this thing just changes, then I will have. Caesar's peace, the Pax Romana was only there as long as all the enemies were being held back. As long as The the citizens weren't getting out of line. But the peace that Jesus brings into our world, church, is not determined by our enemies. It is not determined by our circumstances. Our Prince of Peace gives peace regardless of the enemies we face or the circumstances that we encounter. Our Prince of Peace brings peace regardless of the enemies we face or the circumstances that we encounter. And this peace the angel says, is given to earth, to those people on whom his favor rests. That's the last line of the angel's song. Peace is given to those on whom his favor rests. How do we know that his favor rests on us? What would it take for God's favor to rest on you, on someone else? Well, the answer is Jesus. We're saved by Jesus. This is why I started the sermon the way I did. You have to trust Jesus. We're saved by the actions of Jesus. That is where our peace comes from. We cannot manufacture peace. We have to stop trying to manufacture peace. Some of us have been trying for decades to manufacture peace, and it isn't going to work. Peace comes from Christ alone. We have to rest in Christ alone. And the journey, of course, for, the, for this begins for us in the waters of baptism. This is where we say to Jesus, I have faith in you. I have trust in you. This is literally what we are doing in baptism is surrendering our lives because we realize we can't do it on our own. And we need to be filled with God's presence in order to find ultimate peace. This is the moment that we... We pledge. We say, I believe, Jesus, that you can provide for me in a way that no other king can provide. You pledge yourself to Jesus in baptism, and then you spend the rest of your life living in relationship with him. peace comes when we are united with Christ. And of course, many of you in this room this morning are thinking, I've already made that decision, but I still feel restless, lacking peace trying to work hard to create it. And I think when we do this, it's because we are trying, we forget, first of all, we forget who our true king really is. We make ourselves king. We make something else king, someone else. And we try to create inward peace by changing our outward situation. Think about it. How many times have you and I tried to, chain, have tried to create peace by changing our outward situation? And the whole time, what needs to change is right here in our hearts. And that changes by the power of Jesus Christ living and working in us. And today, if that's your situation, you're thinking, I gave my life to Jesus a long time ago. I want to challenge you today. Your challenge is to hear this song from the angels. God's favor rests on you. Stop trying to create peace. God loves you. You can stop working to try and earn it. You can't, right? Trusting Jesus more than your circumstances is an ongoing decision that all of us have to make each and every week. In Titus chapter 3, I think, He summarizes this idea really, really well. I want you to listen to these words in the context of what we're talking about this morning with this song. He says, But when the kindness and love of God, what is the kindness and love of God? Our Savior appeared. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior appeared. Just that alone, you can start thinking about Jesus as the kindness and love of God. That's mind blowing. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, it gets better. He saved us, not because of, our, of righteous things we had done. He did not save you because of anything you had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and, the re- and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Peace with God is given, not earned, not manufactured, not created by you or by me. And so the challenge for us is have faith. Have faith. So often when we think about our lives with God, it's we want an application, we want to do something. And this is kind of a tough one because the application is trust. Keep walking with the Lord. Have faith. Peace is in Christ. Peace is found in Christ. Not in your circumstances, not in your situation, and the charge for us, the challenge for us, is to rest in Him. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. You are one of those whom, on who, whom His favor rests. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we're thankful that peace comes not by anything that we've done or anything that we will do or anything that we haven't done. Peace comes from Christ alone. And this morning, I I know that in this room, many of us are aware of the ways that we have worked to try to create, try to manufacture, try to force peace to come by changing some outward situation or circumstance. And we surrender again to you today and say, God, help us. Help us to live with faith, help us to walk in faith, help us to have trust in you that you alone are going to be the source of life that lives in us. Help us to be reminded, for those of us who have made a decision to follow you a long time ago, help us to be reminded of what we did when we made that decision, that we pledged to you that we would, have, we would trust you more than any other king, any other authority that would come in our lives. And this morning, maybe there are people here in the room who are holding back, who are hesitating, who are still thinking about committing their lives to you, and and I pray that you will work in their hearts too as they journey closer to you, that you'll draw yourself in, draw them in, and remind them of the ways that you are with them as well. We are so thankful for this song from the angels. We're thankful that heaven sang on that day of Jesus' birth, and that we got to catch a glimpse of that beautiful chorus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing a song uh, before our shepherd's prayer. invite you to sing uh, glory to God as we do.